Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, during during worship, uh, we heard uh, scripture read from Matthew's Gospel the account of the resurrection and the women finding uh, that Jesus had been raised from the grave. And of course, you know, when that happened, there was lots of reaction of surprise and shock. And scripture says Peter marveled at the thought, like, this is unbelievable, but it's believable because it happened. And then, of course, some doubted. And in fact, we're going to read a portion of scripture from one of those who doubted and that the account of the resurrection uh, from, from Thomas, who did doubt. John chapter 20, verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, (coughs) excuse me, are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas tells him, you know, if I don't see and if I don't touch, I'm not gonna be able to believe. But then when he has the experience of encountering Jesus and and Jesus, you know, says, okay, go ahead, you can do that. His response was, my Lord and my God. This this was the part of the resurrection where it, it just, it settled it forever in Thomas's mind. This is who Jesus is. There's no more question. Jesus rose from the grave. That's a God thing. Only God could do that. Jesus obviously is meant to be the Lord of our life. If he is God, which he is, he's just showing that by the resurrection, then he should not just be the God that we believe in, but he should be the God that we follow. That's what it means for him to be Lord. He's the God that we follow. Forever, his relationship with Jesus was defined by that one moment, the resurrection. And forever, those uh, uh, people back in that time, their relationship with Jesus was defined by the resurrection. But not only would it just be those who were present in that time, but in the future. That's why Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Jesus speaking into the future, realizing, okay, you're with me now, but there's gonna be this whole number of people. There's gonna be generations who were not able to be here in this moment, but at the hearing of the gospel, believed. And here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna have the same experience you had. They're gonna come to an understanding that Jesus is God. They're gonna come to that understanding that because he's God, I should follow him and give my life to him. They're gonna come to a a receptivity of my forgiveness and salvation and eternal life because they heard the message and because they believed the message, it'll have the same impact on those in future generations as it was happening with the disciples who were present in that moment. They too will confess Jesus is Lord and God. The message of Jesus risen from the grave is so central to the early church 
that it was among the earliest writings of Scripture, the Scriptures about the resurrection known as the Apostles' Creed. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 3, we read it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus, uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now. In other words, most of these guys are still alive while we're writing this passage, but some have fallen asleep. At the start of the church, the message of the resurrection was being spread, and there were many who died because of proclaiming it. There were many who were persecuted uh, you know, and, and, and killed, basically, because of that message that Jesus has risen Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. In fact, they preached the risen Jesus uh, right in Jerusalem, the very place where he was crucified. That's where the message begins to go out. And people don't give their lives for a lie and people don't give their lives for mythology. They were giving their lives because of history, because this was fact, because this was the experience that they had. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another person crucified by the Roman government and dead. That's all he is. But because of the resurrection, we have confidence that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is God, and that he's the savior of the world. It's also because of the resurrection that we can respond not only by believing in Jesus, but by following Jesus because we are worshiping a risen Christ. We are in a relationship with the living God, not the dead God. It was Jesus who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this claim was validated by the resurrection. There are at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting people, touching people, talking with people after the resurrection, including a crowd of 500. The resurrection of Jesus is the good news. It's what secures our salvation. It's what secures being forgiven and having eternal life. Paul wrote, reflecting on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and said this, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. In other words, the Apostle Paul was saying this. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, there would be no Christianity. There would be no provision for salvation. There would be no way back to the Father, back in relationship with God the Father. The, the resurrection validates Jesus as the Savior of the world, who has the power to not only forgive but to change lives and offers us eternal life by faith in him. In Acts chapter four and verse 12, it says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now that sounds really exclusive, but guess what? The resurrection is also really exclusive. It's only happened to one person. His name is Jesus. But salvation is inclusive. 
It's for everybody. It's for the whole world. Paul reflected on the resurrection, and he says this in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Now, here's what Paul was not saying. He wasn't simply saying, oh, I want to know the historical Jesus and, and, and that he had raised from the dead. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know that Jesus rose from the grave, but I want to know what that means now for me. I want to know the power of that resurrection in my life. How does that resurrection affect me? He wanted to know that. The resurrection is a story about Jesus that validates who he was and who he is to the world. But now, how does that impact my life today? Well, resurrection, first of all, is the promise of justification. Justification. In other words, it's the promise that you're, you're, you're right with God because of Jesus. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Justification means this, put right with. You see, sin separates us from a holy God. That's what keeps us from experiencing the presence of God. That's what keeps us from walking in relationship with him, from knowing him, from knowing his purposes and his plans for our life. Sin separates us from a holy God. Justification, though, removes that separation and puts us in right standing with God. It's not self-justification. It's not a DIY salvation. I'll just live good enough. I'm a pretty good guy. That ought to do it. You know, God should accept me because of that. Listen, if you could self-justify, Jesus would have never had to go to the cross. We're not here celebrating you, we're celebrating him, right? We're not celebrating ourselves, look how good we are. We're celebrating our God, look how good he has been to us. And it's in accepting what Jesus did for you and I that we are forgiven, that we are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It makes us right with God. We're put right with God through Jesus. Another scripture says it this way, we have peace with God. In other words, we don't look at God as this person to be feared. Uh, we don't consider our relationship with God and, and, then, and then think about how we're not as holy as him and then feel condemned and, and, and feel hopeless. We don't consider God and just feel ashamed compared to his holiness or all the rest of it. In fact, the Bible says this about us. It, sa it says this, when you receive Christ, this, this is how it describes your relationship with the heavenly father. It's described as having a relationship where we call out Abba, Father. Now, Abba is not a music group on the other side of the world. <laughs> Abba is a term of endearment. It's, it's, it's kind of like the expression, Daddy, Daddy. That's, that's what it's trying to illustrate. It's a child towards their daddy, their father. It's the closeness that we get to walk with God with. You know, when we're forgiven... The beautiful thing about forgiveness is we're put right with God, even though we can't make everything right that we have made wrong. In other words, we may have our past, we have gone through things that have happened to us and things that we've made poor choices about. Uh, we can make a mess of our life, but we can't always restore it. And it's great if you can. 
It's wonderful when you can apologize or you can make restitution, pay something back, or you can fix something that you've done. But, but often what we're being forgiven for is something we can't go back and do anything else about. It's like we can't unscramble scrambled eggs. But here's what God can do. God can make an omelet out of your scrambled eggs. You know, there's a story about David in the Bible and how that he gets off course. He, you know, he ends up lusting after this woman and Bathsheba and has relations with her. And then he finds out she's pregnant. So now he's got to hide what he's done. So he decides, I'm going to plot to take out her husband. And if I get him out of the scene, I can just marry her. So he's lying. There's cover up. There's murder. It's, it's really messy. The, the son is born to Bathsheba and he ends up dying. And David humbles himself. He asks for God's forgiveness. He, he, he recognizes that he has messed up big time in his life and he looks to the Lord for forgiveness. And here's what God did. God took that mess and out of that mess comes their next child, Solomon. Solomon, their second son, comes out of it. Solomon wrote the Proverbs and is still known as one of the wisest men that has ever lived. Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon. Solomon is also in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Imagine that. David makes a mess of his life, and out of that mess, God brings someone who's a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Talk about grace. Talk about the power of the resurrection. David was forgiven when he repented, and God resurrected something great out of the mess that David had made of his life. You know, it's when we say yes to Jesus and put our faith in him as our savior that we're made right with God. We can't change and fix everything out of our past, but God can make something beautiful out of our future. The resurrection is the promise of a new life, a new life. Romans chapter six and verse one says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, a new life. To paraphrase what this passage is saying, we're not just forgiven, but still carrying on with same old problems and the same old life as it were. We're forgiven and we're not just forgiven and then nothing changes. No, that's not the case. We're forgiven, but we're also empowered to live a completely different life in fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. Our old life, or the Bible says the past, doesn't have to predict our future. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, for many people, their past does predict their future. It's almost like you can look at what they're coming out of and you can just see what they're, they're gonna end up becoming in their future because there's, no, there's nothing put in there to make any change. People live lives that are just a cycle of, of habits, a cycle of lifestyles that they've seen. Their lives can kind of get into a rut in terms of how they may think and how they may act. People often just mimic what they grew around well, this is how I was raised. This is what it was like at home. So why would it be any different in my home? And their life just cycles through and, and, and continues to display even some of the habits and, 
And some of the brokenness that they grew up around just gets repeated over and over. I can still remember meeting a fellow one time who had been very hurt by the fact that when he was just a toddler, uh, his father left home, left the marriage and left the kids, never saw him again. But you know, when that young man got married and his marriage got rough, he did the exact same thing to his family. The exact same thing. It's terrible when people live in cycles and repeat things that they've seen because they don't know any better. But your past doesn't have to predict your future. The hurts of your past don't need to control your future either. The past is forgiven and the hurts of your past can be healed. Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. Resurrection is all about a new life. It's all about a fresh start. It's all about freedom and being made whole. Jesus doesn't just forgive your sin. He empowers you to live free from it, but he also empowers you to be healed from the hurts that you may have experienced from other people's sin. It's not just a new start in life either. It's actually a new life. That's what the Bible proclaims to us. It's not just a new start. It's not just, well, let's go do it all over and hopefully we won't make the same mistakes. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. You don't only get a new start, you get a new life. One of the main things that drew me to following Jesus was my desire for purpose. I, I just, without God, I just looked at the world, I looked at life, and there's just a sense of emptiness, vanity, and, and shallowness uh, about it. Just living for yourself just wasn't a good enough purpose for me. I wanted to know why God put me on the planet and, and what it was that he wanted to do through my life. Purpose was the thing that drew me to Jesus. He changes you when you give your life to him and he does it on the inside. Bible says you get a new heart. You get new ambitions. You get new values. You get new dreams. You get a new sense of mission in your life. You have new priorities. You have new passions. Your life takes on the purposes of God that you were created for. The old life has passed away. Behold, a new life has begun. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says this about our new life. It says, our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Resurrection means you get to be brought to life again, but it's a life in relationship with the living God. Resurrection is about the promise of a clear conscience towards God. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, it says this, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about our conscience here, being, being made right, our conscience being clean because of the power of the resurrection. Your conscience is that inner sense of right and wrong, but it compels you towards right choices and indicates towards you, you know, when the choices aren't, aren't right. But your conscience won't function as it should if it's not clear. In other words, if we have things in our heart that are, that are not right, 
then our heart will not function the way it should. It won't respond the way it should. And we can have our conscience littered with things like guilt and shame or, or condemnation, a sense of hopelessness inside of us, even a sense of inadequacy and insecurity and a feeling of, well, I'm not really worthy. I don't really measure up. All of those things can litter our conscience towards God. Salvation, though, is the experience of being forgiven and then given a clean slate clear conscience, resurrected to that sense of innocence that we all started with as babies, you know? Shame is why a lot of people are so tentative in life and in life decisions, always afraid of messing up. What will people think of me and all the rest? Shame is also one of the reasons people are tentative towards church. You know, they sort of feel like, well, I already know all the mistakes I've made. I don't need to go to church and have God point them all out again for me. But let me tell you something. God's not here to point them out. He's here to wipe them out. Resurrection is about lifting you, not putting you down. Paul wrote a letter of correction to the church in Corinth that kind of displays this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, now I'm happy, not because you were made sad, but because your sorrow made you change your lives. You became sad in a way that God wanted you to, so you were not hurt by us in any way, the kind of sorrow God wants makes people change their hearts and lives. This leads to salvation. And you cannot be sorry for that. But the kind of sorrow that the world brings uh, has brings death. And so he's just talking about what genuine repentance looks like. And, and, and if it's just a worldly sorrow, it says, nah, it doesn't change your life. You're kind of like the kid who, who you know, puts his hand in, steals a cookie from the cookie jar. His parents catch him. What does he say? I'm sorry, but you know what? The next day he goes back and he just does it all over again. Well, what was the problem? The problem was he wasn't repenting. He's just sorry he got caught. Godly sorrow has a resurrection quality to it of leaving the old ways and starting a new life. It's called repentance. God comes into your life and lifts you up into a new life. Guilt is our legal position. I did wrong. I was wrong. Shame, though, is our emotional position. I feel bad about myself. The resurrection is God solving both of those problems in our life. He forgives us of our legal position. He lifts us from our emotional position, gives us a clear conscience and a brand new start in life. He lifts us from shame. He lifts us from guilt. He lifts us to a clear conscience between us and God. As Psalms 3, verse 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. Resurrection is the promise of restored hope. You know, 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus is our living hope. We don't just have hope, but we have hope in a resurrected Jesus, a living Jesus, not a dead Jesus. We have our hope in him, but the scripture reminds us it's not hope in a dead man, it's hope in a live man, a living God, one who rose from the grave. He's our hope. He's the hope of eternal life. 
He's the hope of immortality. He's the hope of the resurrection that would one day happen to us as promised by the, for those who have faith in him. He's the hope of experiencing God's promises coming to pass in our life. He's the hope of following him, discovering his ways. Hey, discovering God's purpose for your life out of a relationship with Jesus, that's part of the living hope that you get to know him and walk with him. The hope of what Jesus can do with a life that is surrendered to him. Through the resurrection, we have a living hope. Too often people are living without hope, though. Their hopes have been dashed. Their dreams have failed. At one time, they may have had great hopes, great dreams, but they're gone. At one time, they may have had great expectations, but maybe now you're on the other side of those expectations. And now you're on the other side of a failed career, maybe the other side of failing health, maybe the other side of broken relationships, the other side of a, of a child who's disconnected from you, of wrong choices that have hurt you. Maybe you're on the other side of having walked away from at one time following Jesus, just like Aaron's story that we heard a little bit earlier. Your hope is dead, but resurrection means it can be brought to life again. Your hope in life can be restored. Your situation may be different, but your hope can be restored through the resurrection of Jesus. In John 11 and verse 25, Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I love that. Jesus is not just saying I have been resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. I am resurrection in a person. Let Jesus be the resurrection in your life. What is it about your life that needs to experience Jesus as the resurrection? You know, David, after his poor choices and his disobedience to God, realized this has cost me, not just in terms of all the various items you could list off, but even in a, in a personal way that it had cost him, that he'd, he literally lost the joy of a relationship with God that he had in life. And he saw that his heart was not in a good place. And he cries out to the Lord this prayer. In Psalms 51 and verse 12, he says this, restore to me again the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. You know, doing our life independent of God is not the way that we're gonna experience the joy in life that Jesus promises us but you can be resurrected into a life of relationship with him. Maybe you're that person who's walked away from faith. Maybe you identify with Aaron's story and made some wrong choices. Then let Jesus be the resurrection for you today. Bring you back into devotion and passion of following him, back to the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're that person who's here today and you have things that, our regrets and, and in your choices in life. And, and the news to you is simply this, that Jesus can be your resurrection to a life that experiences the joy of salvation, that, that, that those regrets don't need to determine your experience of life from this day forward. The resurrected Jesus can restore to you the joy of salvation. Maybe there's failures, there's disappointments, there's discouragement. 
that's brought you to a place of just being down about life and you've lost hope, you've lost a sense of expectation, let that resurrected Christ come into your world. Let him raise up something brand new. You know what I discovered and that is this, is when I wasn't walking with God, I had hopes and dreams. And then when I started walking with God, here's what I realized, how small my hopes and dreams were and that God had so much more in, in choosing to follow him. Maybe it's about just joy and passion. Maybe you're already a Christ follower, but, but you can identify with David where it's like, I seem to have lost the joy of my salvation. I believe God can resurrect that for you today. I believe he can turn that around. Maybe instead of living in the, the joy of salvation, you're living in worry, anxiety, and, and fear, and all kinds of other things that have just come in and choke that out on you. I believe God wants to turn that around in your life. I want to invite you to stand as we take a moment to pray. I want to pray for three different, three different things, three different, if you will, groups of people that may be here today that, that uh, I believe God wants to, to touch your life. Maybe you're that person who's here today who, who knows about Jesus, but you've not yet done what Thomas did and acknowledged that he is my Lord and my God. It, it's a lot easier to acknowledge him as the God, but that's not salvation. Salvation is when he goes from being the God to my God. Salvation is when he goes from being the Lord to my Lord. It's when it becomes personal. It becomes yours. You surrender to following Christ. You decide, this is my faith. This, this Jesus who rose from the grave, he is my Lord, my Savior. I'm gonna get to know him. I'm gonna have my hope in the living God. I'm gonna walk with him. I'm gonna discover the life that he has for me as I engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you've never prayed that prayer before, but you know what? This Easter Sunday is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and your God. Maybe you're in this second group that would identify with Aaron's story where you can look back in your life and there was a time when you were a passionate Christ follower, but something came in and interrupted. Some choices were made. Your heart went astray. This is your opportunity to set it right with God today. This is your opportunity to say, I may have strayed, but I'm coming back. Listen, there's a story in Luke chapter 15 in the Bible of a son who leaves his father. It's an illustration of what we can do in life. And he leaves his father thinking, I know how to do life without my dad. And, and he just does life his own way and creates a mess. But then he comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he goes, this, this is not a better life. It was a much better life when I lived with my father. And the Bible says that he comes back home, he gets forgiven, he gets restored. That's pretty much what happened to Aaron. Aaron went in a, in a direction thinking this will be the better life and then just came to her senses, this is not the better life and came home. And here's the good news for you. You may have walked away, but you can walk home. That's exactly what that son did. He walked away, but he could walk home. This morning, you can walk home. You can come back into a relationship with Jesus. You can get restored. You don't have to live that life that is separated that you know is less than God's best for you. 
you can walk home. And then there's a third group I wanna pray for. And that is those who would be here that you're a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian even for a long time, but you need to get restored to the joy of your salvation. You need to get back to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. You need your passion to get reignited. You need to go back to, as the Bible says, your first love where when you used to open the Bible, you were discovering something new about God you never knew before and the excitement of getting to know Christ. That's the joy of salvation. I believe God wants to resurrect that in your life today. Can we bow for that word of prayer right now? I want to pray that for that first group and second group together. I'm going to ask us to join in together in support of them. But if that's you, I just want you to know something. God's going to hear the sincerity of your heart right now. And you're either making a first-time decision to say yes to Jesus, or this is your homecoming. The same feet that walked away can bring you home. Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died and paid for the sins of the world, including my sin. I ask you to forgive my past. I'm inviting you into my life. And just like Thomas, I'm confessing you as my Lord and my God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me. I'm going to walk in relationship with you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for those who are here that, Lord, need to see the joy of their salvation restored in their life. Father, I just pray for the resurrection power of renewal by the Holy Spirit to touch their life. That let them be refreshed by your presence, God. Lord, let, let that renewal of, of what it was like when they first started to get to know you, let that happen in their own heart. That sense of discovery, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe for you. God, I thank you for renewed passion for you and your kingdom. I thank you for a renewed zeal to follow you like never before. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for renewed presence in their life and in their home as you restore unto them the joy of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.